Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Well, good morning. Welcome to The Grove. My name is Stephen, and we are so glad that you are with us for week 27 of our sermon series, The Good Work. Now, we have, this is actually week five, but the way that it works in churches, sermon series are kind of like dog years, and so they multiply, and so it feels like we've been talking about Nehemiah for the last year and a half, but we're almost at the end. I'm convinced that the single greatest invention of the 21st century is that skip intro option on any of your streaming services. Well, you don't have that this morning. So if you have missed the last couple of weeks, uh, you're in luck. And if you've been here every week for the last couple of weeks, you're going to get to hear a recap and you don't have the option to skip the intro. We are in a series talking about this man named Nehemiah and the work that he was engaged in. And throughout this story, throughout this book in the Bible, We've been learning lessons about what it means and how we can be better at doing the good work that God has for each of us. So this story starts at about 480 B.C. And it starts with this recognition that Jerusalem is destroyed and the walls around it are destroyed. And this happens about 100 years prior because the Babylonian army comes in, invades, destroys everything and then takes all of the best, brightest, smartest, prettiest, funniest people out of Jerusalem and in captivity takes them to Babylon. Now, a hundred years later, a man named Nehemiah recognizes what a tragedy this is that the city of Jerusalem is destroyed. And so he decides that he's going to go back to Jerusalem along with some other people, and they're going to rebuild the walls so that the city could once again return to prominence. Now, The reason that he does this is not because he just thinks it's a good thing to do. It's not because the walls are really pretty and it would be nice aesthetic feature for Jerusalem to have established walls. The reason that rebuilding the wall is so important to the city of Jerusalem is because it allows the city to once again gain prominence. It can protect itself against enemies. Now, that's fine, but there's a bigger reason why that matters. The bigger reason why that matters is because of the way that the psychology of religion worked back in that time period. The way it worked, it's kind of like with our college teams and our mascots. So every college team has a mascot, and back then every country had a god. And when you'd go to war with other countries, it was kind of like this arm wrestling match between your god and the other country's god. And it was kind of a showdown to see whose god was stronger and whose God was better. Now, Israel believed that they served, worshipped the one true God. But think about the conclusion that would leave them with if their city was destroyed and they were constantly being attacked and destroyed and captured by all of the other countries. Think about the conclusions that that would cause them to have about how successful, how strong, how powerful their God was. And not just for the Jews who lived in Jerusalem, but for all of the people in that time period. You don't have to worry about them. They're 0 and 17. They'll never become a powerhouse in the conference ever again. That program is done. We don't have to worry about Jerusalem. See, the Jews had a proud heritage. 
they were a people who were based on a promise. And this promise was based on a relationship between them and their God. Hundreds of years before the story that we're looking at, God shows up and has a conversation with a man named Abraham. And he says, listen, I want to do something new in the world, and I want to do it through you. I want to take you and take your descendants and turn you into a great nation. And I'm going to bless you. And the reason that I'm going to bless you and give you a land and allow you to become a prosperous nation is not because I have favorites. It's not because of just chance or luck. But there's a mission and a purpose behind why it matters that you're a successful nation. I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and all of your descendants so that then you can be a blessing to all of the other nations. Now, this was a very strange and foreign concept at the time because nations were not in the business of blessing other nations. They were trying to attack and defend themselves against other nations. And so God gets this man named Abraham. He says, I'm going to start something brand new in the world that the world had never seen. And through you, through your descendants, I'm going to find a way to promote the betterment of this entire world. I'm going to develop a relationship with you, and through my relationship with you, I'm going to use it to create a relationship with the rest of the world. So, jumping back into the story of Nehemiah, you can see why the state that Israel is in, that Jerusalem with broken walls is in, doesn't seem to be consistent with and congruent with this idea that our God has blessed us uniquely so that we can then bless other people. If our God was really that powerful, if our God was really that capable, this never would have happened to us and we wouldn't be in this state of ruin. And so Nehemiah, understanding all of this, understanding the purpose and the mission and the backstory and the why behind why Israel needs to return to prominence, decides, okay, we got to rebuild this wall. And so, picking up where we left off last week, this is what happens when they finish building the wall. So, the wall was finished after only 52 days. When our enemies heard about this, all of the nations around us were afraid, and their confidence was greatly shaken. Why were they, why were they afraid, and why was the confidence of the surrounding nations and their enemies greatly shaken? Nehemiah tells us. They knew that this work was completed with the help of our God. That's right, he's back, and he's in charge, and we're back to the place that we should have been. We got a new coach, the system's been turned around, we're doing this West Coast offense thing, we're gonna be able to put up more points on anybody else in the nation, like, we got it going on, we're back. And so the confidence of all of the other nations, all of the enemies of Israel and Jerusalem, they were like, uh-oh, their God is actually the true God. We're a little nervous about what's going to happen next. Now, here's where our story picks up after a recap and after kind of resetting the bigger picture as to what's happening in this story. Now, although the city was wide and large, only a few people were living within it and no houses had been rebuilt. Although the city was wide and large, we built the wall, everything's back, we still have a problem. There's only a few people living within it, and there are no houses that have been rebuilt. 
So you recognize if the whole point of this is to return this group of people back to prominence, if the whole point of this wall is to return Israel to be a strong and powerful nation, it doesn't work if there's no people in the city. It's like, great, you got a beautiful building, but it's empty. And so Nehemiah recognizes that just building the wall isn't enough. There's something bigger going on behind this. There's a more significant work that's happening than just rebuilding the wall. Which is why, if this whole story was just about a wall, the, chapter would, or the book would end at chapter 6. But we're only halfway through this story of Nehemiah. Now, for some of you who've been with us for all five weeks, you're like, we're only halfway through? <laughs> Don't worry. We're going to wrap this thing up quick. I'm going to jump through a bunch of chapters today. But we're only halfway through the story because the point of the story is so much bigger, so much more significant than just rebuilding this wall. It's not about a wall, but it's about a people. And it's about a people who have a relationship with God, and it's about the work that God wants to do through this people. So here's what happens. So my God, put it into my heart. This is Nehemiah speaking. He's convicted by God. God begins to work inside of him and clue him into the larger work that God is trying to do through Israel, through Jerusalem, and through this rebuilt wall. So God put it into my heart to assemble the officials, the officers, and the people so that they could be registered by families. Listen, if we've got this wall and if everything's ready to go, we got to make sure that we bring people home and bring people back into the city so that they can return to their normal lives, so that they can rejoin their family ancestry, so that they can connect to the long lineage of people throughout history who have had this unique relationship with God. Nehemiah recognizes that there's something far bigger happening here than just rebuilding the wall. It's about also rebuilding a people. And it's about restoring a promise and a relationship between God and his people. So they open the gates, they invite people in, they say, hey, listen, we've got this great development proposal for you. For only $150,000, you can have lakefront property. Come on in, build you a house, low HOAs. It's going to be really nice here. We want you to come and populate Jerusalem. And slowly, group after group, family after family, they begin to enter into Jerusalem. Group after group, household after household, individual after individual, until there was almost 50,000 people living in Jerusalem. Now, that's not the point. Just stopping here would not be enough for what God is trying to do through Nehemiah. There's more to the work than just bringing people back into Jerusalem. The wall was the first step. We gotta have a wall so that the people can have a safe place to live. But now that the people have a safe place to live, now the real work begins. When the seventh month came and the people of Israel were settled in their towns, all of the people gathered together in the area in front of the water gate. That's that hotel, if you remember from about... That was, sorry, that was an easy one. It just kind of jumps off the page. No, so here's what happens. Once the people are starting to return to their normal lives, establishing life, establishing community in Jerusalem, in a place of safety, they recognize that there's more to their existence 
than just existing. They recognize that there's something more that's waiting for them. There's something more that God is wanting for them than just a normal life. So they gather together in the area in front of the water gate and they begin to have church. And so they asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the instruction scroll from Moses. Now this was a scroll that contained all of the things that you should do and you shouldn't do and all the these and thous and shouts and shouldn'ts. And, but see, this people, they had been in captivity for hundreds of years. They weren't aware of what all the rules were. It didn't matter what the rules were because they weren't in a place where they could recognize that their God was stronger than all of the other gods. If we're captives in Babylon, then clearly it means our God's not capable of doing anything in the world. And this promise that he made to us is probably just null and void. So we can forget the rules, we can forget the relationship, and we'll just kind of live our lives as slaves until they rebuild the wall, until people come home and they begin to make their lives within Jerusalem. And then they begin to realize, oh wait, there's more for us here. Now that we've come home, we have an opportunity to develop a relationship with God. And the way that they understood their relationship with God back then was that God would make them into a great nation so long as they followed all the rules. So as they see the walls being built, as they see the opportunity to return to their homeland and return to their community, and return to the way that life had been a hundred years before they were in captivity, they recognized their part of the deal was to understand what the rules were, understand what the laws were, so that they could uphold their half of the agreement, their half of the relationship. Clearly God is beginning to do God's half again. Read us the rules so that we can begin to do our part of this relationship. Then Ezra the priest and scribe said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep. He said this because they were mourning and weeping when they heard all of the instructions. Well, I can't have bacon? I love bacon. No scallops, no shrimp. What? I have to go without all of these things? They realized that the rules were going to be hard to live out. And so they begin to start to maybe reconsider if they wanted to be in this relationship or not. It was like, well, wait a minute. I can't do any of, any of those things all day. I can't, a whole day, I do nothing. I just sit for one whole day. I don't get to watch TV. I don't get to, no, I just have to sit. All, yes, all day, you have to just sit. As they're learning what the rules entailed, they begin to mourn and weep. But it doesn't stop there. They stood in their place and they continued to read day after day. Instructions from the scroll and they read the instructions for a quarter of the day. And then for another quarter of the day, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Y'all have it so much easier than the people back then. They were in church for half a day. We're like 58 minutes most weeks. So they're standing for three hours hearing the instructions. And then for three hours, they worship. We do three songs in a row and I get comments after the service. They sang for three hours. We might have to have a talk. But this is what happens day after day. They hear the instructions. They worship God. They recognize the ways that they haven't been living according to God's plan and instruction for their lives. 
And so they confess day after day after day. Now, what ends up happening at the end of a month of this, a month of six-hour church services, they write this beautiful song, maybe the most beautiful song in all of Scripture, more beautiful than all the Psalms, but this is what the psalm does. Or this is what the song says. The song takes the people on a journey through all of the ways that God has been faithful. It takes them on a journey from the very beginning of the promise, from the very beginning of the relationship, all the way through. All of the ways that God's people tried to get it right, messed up, failed, and then God was gracious and merciful back to them and brings them back into relationship. And if you read through the Old Testament, that's the story you see again and again and again. It's God inviting the people into relationship with him. And then when they stray, when they go a different direction, they end up experiencing some consequences that causes them to recognize that they've made mistakes and they come back and they say, God, we're sorry, we messed up. Will you take us back? And God says, yeah, I'll take you back. Again and again and again. And this is what this song does. It talks about this beautiful relationship between God and his people. Through all of the ways that God was faithful, through all of the ways that God was consistent, through all of the ways that God was gracious with his people. And here's just a small snippet. Now, our God great and mighty and awesome. You are the one who faithfully keeps the covenant. The reason this goes sideways, it's not on you, God. It's on us. You're always there. We can always come home to you. We can always return and find you with arms wide open, gracious to receive us. You have been just in all that has happened to us. The consequences we experience in life when we don't follow your instructions, God, that's on us. But even in the midst of our disobedience, you remain loving us, caring for us, waiting for us to come back home. You have acted faithfully. God, it's us that has done wrong. And here's how, here's how it ends for this morning in this story and for the people of Jerusalem. This is the people who were given a promise a thousand years ago that God would be their God and they would be God's people and all they had to do was follow God's rules. And when that proved to be too much and they experienced the consequences, God eventually created an opportunity for them to come back home. Nehemiah rebuilds the walls. The people come back into the city to return to their normal lives. And once they've returned to their normal lives, they recognize that there is more to their life than just their normal life. And they recognize their need for a relationship with God. And so through coming to church, hearing the scriptures, and singing their songs, they end up in a place where they decide to make a commitment. Because of all of this, because of all of the instructions, because of all of the remembering of God's faithfulness in our lives, because of all that God has done for the last 1,000 years, we're gonna make a commitment and we're gonna live by God's instruction and we're gonna observe faithfully all the commandments, all the judgments, and all the statutes 
of our Lord God. It wasn't about a wall. It was so much bigger. It was about God creating an opportunity to bring his people home. Because God knows that when people can come home, then they have the opportunity to engage and rebuild their relationship with God. And that's been the plan all along. From the very beginning when God calls Abraham, the goal isn't to make one nation more powerful than all of the other nations so that somebody can sit atop the leaderboard. The goal was for God to choose people who he could partner with. And through that partnership, God could extend an invitation for all people to come back home. And once they were home, God knew that it would be in that context, in that relationship, in that proximity to God, that they would recognize their need for a relationship with God. And so next Sunday, we're gonna all come together and we're gonna bring commitment cards. Now, for some of you, some of the more skeptical and cynical of us, we say, well, that's just because the church wants our money. It's not true. If you don't feel confident giving your finances to this church, then that's okay. I encourage you to give it somewhere else. What we're here to do next Sunday is to acknowledge that it's far bigger than a wall that we're building. It's far more important than just showing up and handing in the commitment card. What it means is we're recognizing that this is an opportunity for us as a church to engage in the story that's been happening for thousands of years, to partner with God and God's people and what God has been doing for centuries, again and again and again. There are walls that we might need to build in our lives. There might be buildings that we need to build in our lives. There might be ministries that we need to build, people that we need to deploy, acts of kindness and service that we need to engage in. And so when we make commitments to support the church, it's not about one single project or one single ministry or one single opportunity. It's not about a wall. It's about something so much bigger. It's about a chance as God's people to recognize how important it is that we create opportunities to bring people home, to create a space where they can come and feel welcome, where they know that they're safe. And it's in the context of that security that they can begin to build a relationship with God. When they come and they worship and they hear the scriptures and they hear the stories of God's faithfulness, not just in their lives, but in the lives of people for thousands of years, then they too can recognize that there's an opportunity for them to enter in a relationship with God. And when they do that, when they make a commitment, it changes everything. My guess is many of you are here this morning because of some type of circumstance like that. Whether it was recently or when you were growing up, you had a chance to walk into a church that made you feel safe. Maybe for some of you, this is the first church that you've ever felt safe in. And because of that safety and because of that security, you've discovered an opportunity to enter in a relationship with God, to begin to understand God's instructions and God's plan for your life. And in doing so, my guess is the course and the trajectory of your life has changed or is changing. That was my story. I walked into a church in college after having not been in a church for years. And I recognized that I needed to be living differently than I was. 
And I walked into a church that made me feel welcome. And I walked into a church that made me feel secure. And in doing so, I was reintroduced into a relationship with God that has forever changed my life and the course of my life. And so next Sunday, when we bring these commitment cards forward that say, I'm all in, we're saying the same language that the Jews said when Nehemiah issued, issued that opportunity to them. We're not coming to rebuild the wall. We're coming to create opportunities to bring people home so that we can rebuild their lives in relationship with God. It is so much bigger than one project. It is part of the work that God has been doing through his human partners for the last thousands of years. And we have the opportunity to join that work together. And so, this week, many of you received a letter and a card in the mail. If you did not receive one, it's because we don't have your address or we have the incorrect address. And so we have these letters available for you in the back. And next Sunday, we're gonna show up together and we're gonna fill out these cards and we're gonna bring them down to the front as one unified commitment that we, as the Grove Church, are committed to creating opportunities to bring people home. Now, I know some of you have some questions about some of the specifics of the commitment that you're making. And so I just wanna take a moment to address some of the ones that I've been hearing. Now, many of you know that a couple of years ago, we were started as a campus of Highland Park United Methodist Church. What you may not know is that after six months of being a church, we became fully self-supported financially. That is through your generosity. That is through your commitment to the work that's happening here. Because of that, we do not receive any money from Highland Park. And even better, all of the money that is given to the church stays here at the Grove. That means this is your church. The money that you give, the time that you share, the talents that you extend here, they stay here and they go to help this church bring more people home. This is a commitment, not for the rest of your life, but just for next year. These commitments help us and inform how we plan the ministries and the work that we're gonna do in the world, the work that we're gonna do in this community and the work that we're gonna do in your life and in the lives of the people that you love and care about. And so these commitments matter. They help us forecast and they help us project what's gonna happen. Now, the last thing I'll ask is as you're thinking about your commitment, I hope that you prayerfully consider how you can take a step into boldness with your commitment. And here's what I mean by that. There's an amount that we could all put on this card and we wouldn't flinch. It wouldn't affect us We'd write down the number and then we could go about our daily lives. And then there's another number that we could write that causes us to have a conversation with God. Say, okay, God, this is a little bit more than maybe I feel comfortable giving, but this allows me to trust you. There is something that happens inside of you when you give money to support an organization, whether it's a church or a nonprofit or some work that's being done in the world. When you let go of some amount of what you've been given, it causes you to treat the rest that you keep differently. The more that you let go of, the more you view what you retain in a new light. And then the last thing, your gift matters. And the reason your gift matters 
is because on the other end of your gift is a person. There is a life. There is somebody, whether you are sitting in this room or they live on your street or their kid plays with your kid or they work in your office building, there is somebody that needs to be brought back home. There is somebody that you can name that you know who needs to come back and to begin a new relationship with God. And the work that this church does ensures that that happens. Y'all have already been incredibly generous as a church. And so I just want to thank you for the way that you are already committed, the way that so many of you are already all in to the work that God is doing here through each one of you. I'm going to pray for our time, and then I'm going to invite the band to come out, and we're going to sing one last song together. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, thank you so much for this morning and this opportunity to be reminded of your faithfulness throughout the ages. God, we can trust that you have always been at work in the world and that you have always been at work in our world. And so God, help us commit to the work that's in front of us, the work that is bigger than a wall, but is about bringing people home and helping them regain a relationship with you. God, we love you. And we are thankful that we get to be part of this work. It is indeed a good work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.